this is a season that we worship him. That's what Christmas is supposed to be about. It's not about the gifts and the parties and the, the Santa Claus and the trees and the candy canes and all of that, all of that's, that's become a part of it. I understand that, and we do many of those things as well. It's really about Christ. Last week, we started in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to look at the last part of that this week, and then next week we're going to look at, the, at Luke's account. But each one of the Gospels presents a different idea of Jesus. It presents a different focus. Matthew focuses on Jesus as king. Uh, Mark focuses on Jesus as a servant. Luke focuses on Jesus as the perfect son of man. And John focuses on Jesus as the son of God. Accordingly, there are names that are often associated in those stories and in those accounts. So we don't find a birth record of Jesus in the book of Mark because Mark's showing Jesus as a slave, as a servant. And nobody cares when a servant was born. They just care that they serve. Um, Because he's a king, his genealogy is very important, so Matthew lists it. Because he's the son of man, everybody wants to talk about their parents, so Luke lists it. And John, talking about him as God, talks about Jesus as the word. In the Gospel of Matthew, we see two ideas with Jesus. is the idea of the son of David and the son of Abraham. We talked about that last week. The first part of Matthew, chapter 1 which we looked at last week, talks about the idea of the physical side of Jesus, the humanity side, if you will. And we talked about the idea that in that story, in that list of names, there were a couple of names that were very, very unique that stood out. And we talked about actually three Gentile women um, in in that passage and the lessons that we learned from their, their life. And we talked about the idea of faith, hope, and love. The idea that Rahab the harlot teaches us about faith. Um, and yet, and she's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. We talked about Tamar, one of the most horrible stories in all of the Old Testament, talking about the idea of hope, that God can work all kinds of things in all kinds of situations. And then the idea of love and the, the, the focus of Ruth. And so we talked about how even those names give us a hint to the, this gospel story, this, this birth of Christ and, and the idea of that faith, hope, and love. And this morning, we're going to focus on two names that are mentioned in relationship to Jesus Christ. Um, and, and the writer's going to help us uh, try to put some pieces together um, with the story. Let me, before I get into it, let me remind you of something that I think sometimes we forget when we get to this part of the, of the Bible. And that's this. When you go to Genesis chapter 2 and you see creation... God creates an absolutely perfect world. He puts his creation, man and woman, inside this created world that he has designed. There's perfect fellowship between God and man. They they spend time every day together. They, they, They communicate. They have open communication and everything else. And you know the story. What happens is in this perfect world, man still has the opportunity to choose against God. And there is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God said, look, that, that, that's the one tree I don't want you to eat of. Everything else here is yours. It's all yours, but just don't eat that one. And you know the story. Um, Adam and Eve decide to choose to ignore God. And for the first time, they listen to Satan, and for the first time, sin comes into this perfect world. And immediately there is something that changes about that world. 
And at the, from that point on, man and God are now at distance. The first thing Adam does, the first thing Eve does, is they cover themselves up because now all of a sudden they're trying to hide from God. When God's walking in a cold of the day, they're hiding. Because you see, the one thing sin does is it mars our relationship from God. It takes us and God and puts a, a, a division between it. And so what you see then is you see God in his grace and his mercy kicking them out of the garden. Now, I know for some of you, if you're not a Bible student, you may not understand why. Um, let me tell you what many Bible scholars believe. We're told in the garden there were two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Um, many people believe that the reason God pushed Adam and Eve out of the garden and kept them from going back in was so that they would never eat of the tree of life. Because there are many Bible scholars that believe had Adam and Eve eaten of the tree of life, they would have been condemned forever. Because the next time we find the tree of life is in the end of the book of Revelation when we find it in heaven. Um, of which, so there's some link between this, this tree of life and eternal life and God and everything else. So it was actually God's grace and God's mercy saying, look, I'm going to keep you from making this any worse. And so what you see is then, you go from Genesis all the way up to Malachi or the Old Testament. And here's what you find all the way through the Old Testament. God and man are distant. Over and over again, you see the idea that God is way over there and man is way over there. Often in the Bible stories, you see this illustrated. When, when God is giving the Ten Commandments to Moses, and Moses is up in the mountain with God, the children of Israel, they had, to, they, had a, they had a perimeter that was set on the base of the mountain, and anybody who walked past it was a dead person. Why? Because God was up there, and you, when the tabernacle and the temple is, or the tabernacle is set up, there is a special place, the Holy of Holies for God and the dwelling place of God. And at that point, there's only one person allowed in there one time a year, and that was the great high priest. Everybody else was excluded from God. So you go from Genesis to Malachi where people can only get so close to God. There's this great chasm. There's this great distance between them and God. Until you come to the gospel story. Listen to the story. Matthew chapter 1, here's what it says. Um, now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Now, let's talk about this just for a second. In this culture, at this time... What would happen is, let's say a couple was going to be married. They would get engaged. Sometimes the, the, the marriages were arranged. Sometimes they would choose them. But the idea is that they were going to be married. Okay? Um, they would be considered in the culture as a married couple. The marriage would not have been consummated, and they would not be living together. But as far as the culture, as far as everything culturally was concerned... This was a married couple. They would stay in that state, so to speak, for about a year. And the reason that they did that was to maintain the idea that these people have, are, are pure and have dedicated themselves to each other. In the process of that engagement time, Mary and Joseph are engaged. And so this is the woman that he's going to marry. And all of a sudden, he finds that she is with child. 
What does that do to your world? I mean, his hopes and dreams and future and everything is all set, and this is the gal. And now all of a sudden he finds out, uh uh-oh, she's going to have a baby. Now in this culture, Joseph had a number of options. One option is that he could divorce her. He could basically write her off and say, this doesn't count anymore, I'm not married to you anymore. A second option is he could have had her stoned. Um, He could have said, you know what, I've done the right thing, she hasn't, I'm going to make an example of her, I'm going to teach her, I'm going to show her she should have never done this to me, she hurt me, I'm never going to... But Joseph, being a godly, just, righteous man, says, you know what, my intention is not to hurt her, my intention is not to destroy her. Um, You know, I'm sorry that she did this, I wish she hadn't have done this, but um, I'm not signing up for that. I'm not going to raise somebody else's child. Um, I want my own children. I, I, I don't want to mess with any of this stuff. So you know what? I, Mary, it was nice knowing you, but we're kind of done. That was his idea. That's what he was going to do. Um, so in his head, he decides, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put her away privately. I'm going to move on with my life. I'm going to go forward. She can do her thing. I'm going to go do mine. Notice what happens next. Yeah, I this is fascinating. Okay, uh, listen to the next thing. While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. Okay, now, time out. When do you usually get a dream? When you're asleep. Let me ask something. If you just found out that your fiancé was unfaithful to you, how well are you sleeping? Knowing that this is what he would do, he's comfortable with the decision he's made. And it says, he appears to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take Mary into thy wife, for that which is conceived of her in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So what happens is, God comes to him in a dream. An angel comes to him in a dream. Now, let's, let, me, let me take a little sidetrack here for just a second. You've got to remember, at this time in the Bible, people don't have the Word of God. Okay, you and I, we have it on our phone. We have probably five or six or ten Bibles at house. We've got, you know, we hand them out to people all the time. I mean, come across the Bible. Movie. In this culture, first of all, if there was a copy of Scriptures, it was probably at the synagogue. Because, A, they were very expensive and very rare. Only a few people could even afford them if they could get them. So they don't have the, 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 the Bible, for one. Secondly, they don't have the Holy Spirit living in their hearts like we do today. Because Pentecost hadn't come. So the question is then, how does God speak to these people? And often what you find, and you see this a lot in the Old Testament, is you find he would use dreams and visions and prophets and things like that. So he comes to, he comes to Joseph in a dream. The angel comes to Joseph in a dream. And what's interesting here is when you study dreams in the Old Testament, here's what you'll find. Often they're surrounded by mystery. They're surrounded by ambiguity. Often they needed somebody to come along and interpret them. So often they would call a prophet or they would call uh, a priest or they'd call somebody to come and say, okay, what did this mean? And they would interpret for them. This is a dream in which it needs no interpretation. This is crystal clear. There's no ambiguity about it. There's no fuzziness about it. 
It is as clear as it can get. Now, when we get to these things, I, I have a hard time not doing this, so just indulge me for a second. You know, I don't want to minimize any dreams that you've had. But, but, but from a theological perspective, can I be very candid with you here? If you have a written word of God, and you have the Holy Spirit who indwells you, you really need more than that to know what God wants you to do? You know? I, I, I mean, honestly. And I have people that, that, that bank on this kind of stuff. And I'm like, the, the problem with dreams is, that, is it's fuzzy. I mean, short of an angel standing in front of you and making it as clear as this is, most people, you know, well, like this happened and then this, and I think this is connected to this. To this and I'm like, man, that's, that's like worse than trigonometry when you're all done trying to connect all of those dots. And so I'm a firm believer in the idea that I have the Holy Spirit and I have the Word of God. You know, I just don't know that you want to, I want to add a bunch of anything to that because, I mean, man, I've got something that, that, that until 2,000 years ago, really, actually until about 500 years ago, most people didn't have. And so to me, it's like, well, you know, what does God say? And, you know, does God say? What's the Holy Spirit telling me to do? And, and the two are never going to contradict each other, so it's kind of clear what I ought to do. So anyway, but here the, the, the angel looks at him and says, okay, Joseph, here's the deal. Um, Mary, um, your wife, because they were engaged and was considered basically married, uh, that which you conceived to her is the Holy, Holy Ghost. In other words, basically she said this, uh, you need to know, Joseph, you don't have to worry about Bob over there or Fred or George or, or whatever. That's, he's not dad. God is dad. In other words, what happened here is Supernatural. What happened here, Joseph, has never happened before. This is from God. And she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. What's interesting in this story is both Mary and Joseph are told what to name him. And if any of you have had children, you know that naming a child is a big deal. They didn't get to make that choice. It was done for them. And it says, for he shall save his people from his sins. And then we'll talk about that in a second. Now, so we're given one, we're given, first of all, we're given the one name for Jesus right here, and that is Jesus. He's going to be called Jesus. Why? Because it means Yahweh saves, God saves, Jesus saves. And then Matthew, understanding the Old Testament and understanding that he's writing to Jews and being inspired by the Holy Spirit, notice what his spin on this whole thing is. Notice what he goes on to verse 22 and says. Um, now, All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So now we have a second name for Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, some of you are new to Christianity. You're not that familiar with the Bible. I want you to pause and just kind of mellow out for about four or five minutes because I'm probably going to lose myself. So I guarantee that I'll probably lose you, okay? Some of you, you've been like around the Bible forever. I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff at you and put together what you can of it, all right? In order to really understand what this passage is, you have to know a little bit about Isaiah. And Isaiah is one of the most difficult books in the Old Testament to get a grasp of, okay? So, With that in mind, I'm going to try to give you a quick 
five, six chapter big summary of this verse, okay? Because knowing the context will help you make a little, will help this make sense for a minute, okay? Here's the context. At the time that Isaiah talks about this, there is a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom in Israel is about ready to come down and battle the southern kingdom. So Isaiah, who is the prophet, goes to Ahaz, who's the king in the southern part. And he basically is going to come to him and he says this. He says, look, you need to understand God's got a plan. Now, Ahaz was not a good king. But he says, you need to understand God's got a plan. Um, The battle's not going to take place. You don't have to worry about it. Because God's going to take care of his people and everything else. And Judah's going to come out of this. The only problem is Ahaz, you ain't going to be a part of it. Now, Ahaz didn't like that. And so Ahaz is now a little bit concerned because he didn't like what the prophet said. Because the prophet has basically said, hey, don't worry about those people. They're not going to take you over, but you ain't going to be a big deal anymore either. So now he's a little upset. And so Isaiah says, look, if you don't believe me, all you've got to do is ask God for a sign. Any sign, God will give it to you. He will prove to you that what I am saying to you is true. And Ahaz, who is, again, not a good guy, but playing the pious card, goes, oh, I'm not going to ask God for a sign. How dare I ask God for a sign? Because that would be presuming upon God. And now Isaiah's mad. So Isaiah's mad because now he's like, you're not going to believe me or anything else. So Isaiah, and this is the passage in chapter 7, says, here is the sign. Something supernatural is going to happen. There's going to be a supernatural birth. And there's going to be a new king that comes in that takes care of the kingdom. And you need to know that that king, that king that comes is going to change everything. You get her there, Daryl? Awesome. Awesome. So he starts and he says, that's what's going to happen. You get to chapter 8, and Isaiah expounds on it some more. And Isaiah says, let me tell you something. In fact, not only is this king going to change stuff, but this king is going to be two things. He's going to be a stumbling block, and he's going to be a foundation. There are some people that are going to build their lives around this king as a foundation. And there are some people that are really going to have a problem with this king, and he's going to trip them up. Then he gets to chapter 9. And he says, let me tell you a little more about that king. His name is going to be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We just saw that. Then he's going to get to chapter 10 and 11, and he's basically going to say this. You need to understand this about that king. That new king who's going to carry on this kingdom, the the, the Israelite kingdom, that new king is going to change everything. It is all going to be different because of him. That's the background behind what Matthew says here. He says, here's the sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt bring forth his son, and thou call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Remember what I said at the beginning? Up until now in history, God and man were way, way, way apart. Now all of a sudden, God says, no more gap. I'm right in the middle of you. And then notice what happens, verse 24. Here's what it said. 
Then Joseph, being raised from sleep as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took him unto him his wife. And knew her not until they brought forth their firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph says, all right, I'll raise a child that's not mine. I'll put my entire business at stake. Because the second I bring her home, everybody's going to assume this was my kid. I'll throw my reputation right out the window. People aren't going to do business with me anymore because of what's happened here. In fact, so much so that when I go for the census, and then I'm told to go to Egypt, I'm going to shut down my business for two years and take care of this child that's not mine. Why? Because God's asked a very difficult thing on me, but you know what? He was a righteous and just man, so he wanted to honor God with his life. And you see Joseph in this story wrestling with this idea that Jesus as So two ideas, and and, and let me kind of help you understand as you put Matthew together. The first part of Matthew is talking about the idea that that Jesus is a man. 100% man, just like us, only he never sinned. The second part that we looked at this morning is Jesus is God. And you see two very important ideas as you look at those two names, Emmanuel and Jesus. And so here's the first. The first idea is this. The first idea is as a man, well, let me, okay. Yeah, see, this is why I look at my notes every once in a while. Um, Oh, no, I'm still on track. Okay. Um, Emmanuel, God with him. Remember I said, Isaiah said, he's either going to be a stumbling block or a foundation stone. God with us. You're going to get hung up on that? Or you're going to build your life on that. But here's what you need to understand. God, who has always been distant in the Old Testament, said, I love these people enough. I don't want to be distant anymore. I don't want to have that that, that area between us anymore. He said, so what I'm going to do is I am going to come and walk with them. I am going to be God with us. I'm going to show them how life on earth should be lived in a right way. I am going to demonstrate how to treat people. I'm going to demonstrate how to talk. God, who has never slept, now has to close his eyes. God, who has never eaten, now gets hungry and thirsty. God, who has never experienced physical pain, because he's never had a physical body, now understands what it's like to get up and hurt. God understands now what it's like to have a whole group of people who support you and then all of a sudden want nothing to do with you. God understands now what it's like 
to come and walk among us and see this idea of people who take what I say and use it against me to hurt me. He gets it. He's experienced every single thing you and I have experienced, with one exception. He never sinned. Never, not. Because the second he sins, he's got to take care of his own sin. He can't take care of ours. God wraps himself in flesh and walks among us. Emmanuel, God with us. And to think about what that would entail, to think about the fact that a God loved me that much to do that, that he would walk and, 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 and be willing to do that at any moment. By the way, you need to understand that. The Bible's really clear about this. At any moment, all he has to do is say, Done. He leaves this world, goes to heaven, doesn't go to the cross, nothing else. He can go back to the angels worshiping him and everybody, all all the heaven stuff. He can go back to all of it in a heartbeat. You wonder why it is, we're talking this next week, you wonder why it is that when he's born, the entire heavenly host gets peeled back for a minute and the shepherds see all of heaven going, we can't believe this. I mean, we were worshiping on a throne. And now he's in a he's in a he's in a stable cattle trough. You know? You guys don't know what just happened. Look, go see him. Why? Emmanuel, God with us. And as we get into this Christmas season, that's what we celebrate, is the idea, that's what we worship. The idea that God loved us that much to do that. And he said, it's interesting, I love what one guy said. He said, Throughout history, men have worked very hard to try to become a god. But the Christian story is of a god who became a man. That's the difference. That he dwelt among us, and so he came among us. And then the whole purpose, and this is what he's talking about here in this passage, is his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us, but his name shall also be called Okay, let's try it again. His name will also be called... Okay, let's try one more time. His name will also be called... Jesus. Why? Because he'll save his people from his sin. You see, it wasn't enough to just come. He had to... He had to... In order to... Him coming was a great example. But we, we still have the sin issue that has to be dealt with. We still have to deal with that thing between us and God. Our sin. And he understood that the only way to do that, as has been illustrated over and over and over again in the Old Testament, is without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Someone has to die. You and I do everything we can to hang on to life. I mean, we got medical people. You know, you know, you go through a medical crisis or you go through a health crisis, and it is amazing the lengths that we go to hang on to this thing we call life. But do you understand that from day one, Jesus wasn't interested in hanging on to life. He was interested on dying on a cross. His entire focus was not born to live, but born to die. His entire focus was getting to the cross. His entire focus was, was, was going to the cross so that he could shed his blood, so that we could have forgiveness of sin, so that we could understand it is Jesus 
who saves you from your sin. It is Jesus who offers forgiveness. It is Jesus who, gives, who made that way possible. He is the only one that can save you, as he said. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way. Believe me. Believe me. If there was another way to get to God other than Jesus Christ, Jesus would have taken plan B. That's what he says in the garden. Father, if it's possible, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this suffering pass from me. Let me let, let's do it a different way if it's possible. But if not, not what I want, but your will be done. I'm willing to go if that's the only way. And when I have people look at me and say, you know, I, do, you know, I just don't believe all that stuff. You know, I just think if you're a good person. Let me tell you something. I'm say as nicely and kindly as I can. If you think you can reject a God who walked among us, who went to a cross for you, who shed his blood and gave up his life for your sin, and you think you can stand before an almighty God and say, you know what, I didn't want anything to do with that, but you let me in because I'm a good person. You're delusional. I mean, you say, you say, well, I just can't believe a loving God. Let me tell you something. A loving God went to a, came to the world in a manger and went to a cross. There is no greater love than that, than a person who's willing to give his life for us. That's what a loving God did for you. And if you want to say no to that, you have every right to say no to that. But don't expect that God to turn around and go, okay, I'll give you a pass. Because he has committed himself. When he said, I'm the only way, the only truth, the only life, there is no one, no one comes to the Father but my me, he committed himself to say this. And you may not like this, but this is what he said. There is only one way to God, period. Any other religion, any other way that tells you there's some other way to get to God? No. Jesus Christ said, I am the only way. And this story, this Christmas story is about a God who said, I love you and I will dwell among you in order to show you how to do it. And I will give my life for you and I will save you if you ask. Here's a gift. It's yours. But you have to take it. I come back to this every year at Christmas. You know, it's not enough. It, it, can, can you imagine? Um, can you? Okay. Um, all right, I might get myself. Well, I won't get myself in trouble. Okay. Tomorrow's our anniversary. Okay. Um, we're going we're to be married 35 years. And the fact that my wife has survived is a major thing. So <laughs> 35 years tomorrow. So here's the deal. Um, I got her something. Okay. Um, and, and, and we don't normally do this, but I did. I thought, okay, 35 years, she deserves like a medal or something. So, um, so I got her a gift, and I intend to give it to her tomorrow, okay? Can you imagine me handing her that gift tomorrow and saying, hey, honey, thanks for 35 years. Um, I know I was worth it, but here you go. Um, you know, here, here, you know here's, here's my appreciation. And I hand her that gift, and, and it's wrapped up, and, and, and she looks at it, and she takes it, and she goes, okay, that's awesome. I really appreciate this. It's a nice box. 
You went to a lot of effort. Thanks for the gift. She never opened it. She never takes it. She never learns. I'm going to get myself in real trouble. She never wears it. Getting closer, aren't I? Um, You know, she never wears it. She never shares it with anybody. All she does is keep the box and never unwraps it. Let me ask you a question. I offered her a gift. Is it really hers? Not until she opens it and makes it her own. Until then, it's a really cool thing in a box. Jesus comes, walks among us, goes to the cross, pays for your sin, offers you eternal life, comes out of the tomb, shows you that he has power over death. Death doesn't have to win anymore. Offers you all of that. Puts it in a nice box, gift wraps it and says, here, it's yours. You can look at it, you can appreciate it, you can talk about how awesome the wrapping is and how cool it was that he did all of that. But until you make it your own, not yours. I want to challenge you as we go into this season. Make sure that your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ alone. Make sure that not only can you say God is with us, but you can say God is with me. Not only can you say Jesus saves, but you can say Jesus saved me. That as you go into this season, yeah, we can do all the stuff that everybody does this season. But the reality of it is, is about an incredibly precious gift that I possess. Because of a God who loved me and gave himself for me. And as I go into Christmas, I can celebrate the fact. He's not some God who's distant way off. He's personal and up close. And he's my Savior. That's what this season's about. So I end with this. I end with this, just this, this one concept, this one idea. The Christmas story is a story of a God who dwelt with us to make a way for us to be saved. It's not about religion, ritual, rules. It's about a God who came to end the separation between you and him. He provides salvation as a gift. All you have to do is accept it and make it your own. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, sometimes it's so easy to make this so complicated. But Lord, you loved us. You gave your life for us. You came so that we could have forgiveness of sin, that we could have eternal life, so that we could have a new foundation for our life. Lord, so many people stumble over this. Don't let us be one of those people. Lord, as we go into this season, may we come to Christmas Day and be able to look at every person in here and everyone in here know you are their personal Savior. And Lord, if they don't, will you help and work in their lives to make them settle this once and for all? So that, Lord, one day we can all gather together celebrating, worshiping, and enjoying what you have provided for us. Since we ask in your name, amen. Let's stand together, and we're going to sing the first verse, I love you, Lord. Let's stand as we sing.